Our Father, we give you thanks for um, your word and especially the wonderful instructors that we have from your word and uh, Dr. Ferguson's faithful ministry, uh, both in uh, the academic world, um, as a trainer of ministers, as a pastor. And we are grateful for this opportunity to study our Lord's um, farewell address, and we pray that you continue to look with favor upon us as we talk together about these things, that we would be encouraged in the way of faith and faithfulness. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I hope uh, you all endured the storms if you're in Fairfax that came roaring through here about an hour ago. It was quite remarkable, but it seems like things have calmed down now. I was a little afraid we might lose power. Um, And it's very hard to Zoom without power. But uh, let's begin. We're um, on Chapter 2, page 21. Um, Last week we looked at the mind of Christ, so let me start as I typically do and ask, does anyone have any questions about that chapter that occurred to you since then or uh, any observation as you've thought about it um, in the meantime? I have one question, Dave. I don't know. I listened to the lecture on my way out to Middletown two days ago. Um, So... This is just speculation, I know. He says there are 13 people in the room, so 12 disciples and Christ. But would it be typical for them to have had somebody serving this meal? Um, People coming in and out, or did they just drop it off, like takeout? (laughs) You know. Uh, I I haven't a clue, but I think we could expect that there must have been some helpers that were actually seeing to the food. Um, the uh, but on the other hand, I also expect that it was understood that this would have been a private meeting, um, given the circumstances of the it being their celebration of the Passover. Yeah, I just wondered if anybody's done a kind of cultural um, study of that. I mean, it must not have been that rare of an occasion to have an upper room somewhere where they had meetings and things like this. I don't know. And you remember, um, Jesus knew of the place and directed them to make preparations. So there must have been some history there. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to chapter 20, or excuse me, chapter 2, entitled Understanding and Blessing. And as before, I'm going to open our time reading the passage that uh, um, Dr. Ferguson is going to focus on. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place... You may then and now, or excuse me, you may uh, believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one, the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me 
receives the one who sent me. All right, there's our passage. Um, Chris, have you joined us? I had uh, thought that you weren't going to make it. Just got back. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, well, the um, Dr. Ferguson starts with this image of uh, an art gallery with, with different portraits of the same person. And it's an interesting image. He, he wants to think of uh, John as a kind of great master. And uh, he, he first captures depth of character, meaning that he looks into the Old Testament uh, and sees Christ foreshadowed. Um, the, um, and then he plays out the metaphor a little um, by noting that... Uh, there would need to be um, art gal- more than more portraits than art galleries in the world could hold in order to contain all that there is to know about Jesus. And of course, he's playing off the very last verse of his uh, John's Gospel about books that there were many more things that could have been written about Jesus and uh, the um, um, uh, the world couldn't contain all that would be written. There's so much to grasp. Um, so, um, Dr. Pa- uh, Dr. Ferguson plays that out by uh, bringing um, both chapters we've looked at now under that one rub- rubric. So the portrait from chapter one is Jesus as Savior, and the incident of foot washing becomes a way of unfolding what it what will be for Jesus to be a savior and then the second portrait uh, the one we're taking up in the chapter is the same incident uh, but with a, a, a different object in view Jesus here now is the example um, and so we're going to look at the um, foot washing again but now from the point of view of uh, how this acted parable, as Dr. Ferguson puts it, um, carries implications for their lives. Um, And you recall there's a dynamic here. They don't quite get the first portrait. They don't quite understand all uh, that the foot washing meant for revealing Jesus as Savior. But on the other hand, Jesus seems to think that they should get, at least out of the foot washing, the idea of um, him as their example. And uh, the um, he wants to look at Christ's concern that they have a proper understanding. So that's the first segment uh, on the, near the bottom of page 23. Um he wants them to get it that there's a connection between what he has done and what they're going to do. And the point is that uh, for Jesus, understanding is a first and essential step to getting to the place of doing. Um, He he says that um, transformed Christian living lies, uh, this is at the very bottom of 20. Three, transformed Christian living lies not primarily in our affections, that is, in the things that we love, or the uh, our emotions, the way we feel about things, or our instincts, or even our will. Christ will gradually transform all these things, uh, but he does so through our understanding of the gospel. That's the first focal point here, then. Um that truth affects the way we think, and then uh, all else follows from that, uh, that the um, gospel fuels how it is that we understand um, how we should live. Um, so the um, he turns us to Romans chapter 12, the principle there, Uh, from 1 and 2, Paul writes to the believers after his wonderful unfolding of the gospel 
you remember that uh, concluded with the doxology um, at how wonderful God is. Um, He says to them, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, if we're to be transformed, it begins with the renewal of our minds. And um, the... um, He wants to show us a contrast between um, how we might understand um, faithfulness generally to what is coming to us through the foot-washing instance. Um, So he brings up the golden rule um, that many people think of that as the test for Christian living. And Dr. Ferguson notes that Jesus taught a positive version of it in Luke 6.31, as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Um, We should love our neighbors uh, as ourselves. Um, But here's the critical point, I think, in what he's trying to say, the sentence in the middle of that paragraph, beginning uh, with with, um, verse Yeah, in the middle of that uh, paragraph. Um, Jesus is not giving a lecture on ethics here. His golden rule is not a piece of moral advice disconnected from himself. In in other words, um, to think about the Christian life as being embodied in, in certain precepts, that one understands and seeks to have as a guide for your life is to miss the reality of the Christian life as Jesus has called his disciples to it. Because there there aren't precepts that are somehow disconnected from Jesus himself and our relationship with Jesus. Um, We learn what those precepts mean by seeing Jesus live. And we learn um, the, uh, the power to follow them by f- feeling the spirit of Jesus at work in our lives. And that's absolutely crucial to grounding how we live in this world. And if we allow um, uh, our uh, ethics to become uh, abstracted from Jesus, we really lose the power of it. Uh, in that twofold way, both seeing what they mean in a real life, his perfect life, and um, knowing his power at work in us to do as he's called us to do. Um, Dr. Ferguson nicely ties that to uh, Rock of Ages, surely one of the uh, great hymns uh, of the Christian faith, um, that Jesus is uh, a double cure, that is, that um, he frees us from both the guilt of our sin and the power of our sin. And freed from guilt, then, we're freed um, to live well unto God. And freed from the power of sin, we're liberated um, to take up our cross and follow him. Um, So... uh, this he's setting before the disciples. Um, he wants them to understand that uh, he became a servant for their sake, and he wants them to become uh, servants um, for his sake. Um, so, at the root of this, then, um, he says, for the Christian, it is not how would I like others to treat me, and then I should try and do the same for them. But rather, how has Jesus treated me? And then model the treatment I've received from Jesus. 
uh, in the way I deal with others, trying to show the same wonderful grace and other orientation that we've known ourselves. Let's stop there on that point and see what you think of that. Do you get the force of the distinction here between abstracted moral principles or ethical standards and um, a living, breathing instance of it who perfectly displays it and then empowers us to uh, do likewise. Thoughts, reflections on that? Yes, Grace. So maybe um, kind of half thought out, I'm still thinking about it, but um, I was just thinking all about Jesus as the Savior and as the example are so connected to each other and how I think a lot of times people try to emphasize one or the other and so sometimes then I think, especially like evangelical Christians maybe, um, are scared to emphasize the Jesus as an example part because they don't want to put the focus so much on the idea of being good. But if it's so interconnected with him as the Savior, then they just go hand in hand and you need both of them equally. Yes, great, great point, Grace. I think that's very well put. Uh, and I, I'm sure that's what Dr. Ferguson is driving at. Um, great observation. Jeff? Or? Yes. Looks like you're muted. Sorry. Thank you uh, for your patience. Yes. Um, yeah, I was, I was a little... I had a question about um, between what Jesus said and then the way... Um, Dr. Ferguson states it, um, how has the Lord treated me, then that is the model for the way I would treat others. Um, I guess the, the thought I have is uh, um, we should also model how Jesus treated the disciples and others as, as revealed in Scripture. I'm sure he's not meaning to leave that out, but if I just focused on my own personal experience of Jesus wouldn't I be leaving out unless it's uh, my, I mean, I guess Jesus is treating me that way through scripture when I, uh, uh, am I making any sense? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I, I don't think Dr. Ferguson intends for how has the Lord treated me to be, um, uh, your assessment of your existential experience as a Christian. Right. I, I think he means you to say, uh, how has he treated me in his work as my savior as it's unfolded in the gospel? Okay. Does that... So, um, is that to be contrasted with the very physical... Um, uh, you know, in the passage where he's washing their feet, he's also modeling, I think, in a way, um, the way we should treat others. Um, oh, 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 yeah. And But remember, um, or at least what Dr. Ferguson is trying to show, is that the Jesus that's a savior that's portrayed in the foot washing and the Jesus who's an example that's portrayed in the foot washing are one Jesus. And um, in fact, we're not going to get the significance of the example of the foot washing unless we get the significance of who he is as Lord and Savior. I think I get it. Yep. Thank you. That was helpful. All right. Great. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I see now how it could have sounded like that this is are merely existential reflections about my own lived experience right now that are supposed to be a guide to me about. Uh, uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Good point. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Dave. Um, so I think this fits in with also people who hear sermons about Christianity, maybe all of us, to a certain extent, in our growth in Christ, and we hear a sermon and we think, I've got to write down that rule. He just That pastor just told me a rule about Christianity, so mm-hmm. we have all these rules. But if we 
approach it that way, we become Pharisees. We could, yes. I mean, we could. Yeah. Because then it's just a list of things you can do and you can't do, even if they haven't penetrated your heart of uh, on what that means to follow Christ. Right. And on the other hand, uh, so then I think, as we see in Scripture, the Pharisees become unmerciful. They're very um, judgmental. Right, right. And that to remember, as Christ shows, that his mercies are new every morning, um, as opposed to us who (laughs) are... uh, Grievances continue from day to day, you know, instead of being new every morning. Right, um, right. That whole thing, um, and I think what you just said about our existential experience, it becomes kind of pathological sometimes. It can, um, yes. That um, <clears throat> I sometimes I misunderstand what he's doing providentially, and so I become judgmental of him, and then I expect the next thing is to be a punishment that's going to happen. So, I, you know, some right. stupid, um, weird kind of example is I stub my toe and I think, oh, that's because I, you know, did this yesterday. Right. Kind of thing. And it, it, it's weird. Yeah, it's very easy to and, fall into that. Yeah. Um, and this, what Ferguson is saying is just really I think what it what is that we go through those we have to get through them in our we can't get stuck in them and make that our life we have to get to know Christ in our hearts and to understand that um, he knows our weakness he's merciful to us in our weakness and he continues to love us and wants us to know him better yeah yeah, and, and in a host of ways, his care for us shown in the scripture um, are models for us. We're looking at particular one, but uh, take forgiveness. I mean, uh, we're to forgive as we've been forgiven. That's an extraordinary challenge. But yeah, great. Steve, are you trying to get a word in? Yeah, I wanted to maybe pull on the thread Jeff, Jeff had a little while ago. Um, so when Ferguson says at the top of page 25, how has the Lord Jesus treated me? I, <clears throat> I guess I never took that as kind of a subjective thing. I, and maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but I look at like you know, Jesus, for example, never physically washing my feet. Um, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, you know, didn't physically look at look at me and heal my blindness in you know in a physical sense. Mm-hmm. Right. But I look at all of those as this is who my Savior is. And those things that he did when he was here on earth, they're applied to me even though I might not have physically yes, uh, right. uh-huh. participated at that, at, that, at, at that time. So when I, when I look, when I read what you know, Ferguson said there, it's, it's all of those examples of the foot washing, the healing of the blind, the, you know, the raising of the dead, all of those things the forgiveness of sins, all of those are applied to me. So when I think of what Jesus has done for me, it's 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 really all of those things. In, in, in a sense, because in Christ they all they all matter. Yes. And and so so you know, I think that makes Ferguson's point very powerful that it's not, you know, some kind of um, quid pro quo with, with doing unto others. It's it's even if nobody ever did anything for me, my attitude should be, I'm going to be you know, a servant because of what my Lord has done for me, and that should be. And, that, you know, and I, I'll admit that I fail at that often, but but it's. I think that's it seems to me that's kind of where he's going with this and getting getting yeah. there. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that's right, and that kind of nicely leads us into. Uh, his discussion of Peter, um, Peter, who had been there in the upper room, uh, and certainly it must have been an extraordinary experience for him. Um, 
and uh, both the foot washing and then the horrible pronouncement thereafter that he was going to fail Christ completely. Um, and uh, Dr. Packer imagines Peter reflecting on this when he's writing his epistle, uh, and particularly uh, five five of the first epistle, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And he nicely points out that the Greek term that's behind the English term translated clothe uh, is used uh, as a uh, can be used as a picture of a of a slave tying a towel around his face, uh, his waist. Um, it's interestingly used only here in the New Testament. Um, but it, uh, you can see then that um, uh, the calling that Peter brings out of that experience is that every believer ought to clothe themselves in humility, ready to do the work of a servant. Um, and that Jesus... Uh, is our example in that. And uh, he notes in 1 Peter 2.21, um, again, that uh, the... Um, and this is very nice. The Greek word, uh, he, he reminds us, we can see it's the word, our word grammar comes from it. And the picture behind the, the term is that of a child learning to write. And the, the one who's teaching them... Uh, showing them how to make the letters, and then the child copies them. And so he ties it all up nicely at the bottom of 25, that uh, it's as if Peter is saying, Jesus wrote the book on lifestyle, copy it, write your story with an eye to the way he wrote his story. Um, And in fact, uh, that's what he gave us his spirit, to work within us, to want to do just that. Uh, is to to um, write a story of our own that follows uh, his handwriting illustrations. Um, other thoughts on this? Well, um, at the top of uh, 26, uh, we start a section entitled Understanding who Jesus is, and uh, the um, uh, we're looking at um, who Jesus is in order to grasp the fullness of the foot washing experience. And the point is that He is the Lord of Glory, the King of Heaven, the Son of the Living God, uh, the Word. Uh, who was face-to-face with God. Um, And it's that person who clothed himself with humility and um, went and uh, washed the feet of the disciples. And that with that understanding in my mind then, he says, um, I will also be willing and eager uh, to wash the dirt uh, from the feet of others. Um, so that's uh, part of the force of it and the combination of the two portraits as it were um, the first as savior in the foot washing and then the second as um, example to us in the foot washing the next section an empty space in the portrait gallery here uh, Dr. Ferguson curiously um, uh, reflects on the fact that um, missing from the scene is Judas. We know he's there. Um, and uh, Christ um, cites Psalm 41.9 particularly to help prepare the disciples for the betrayal. But it's the way uh, Dr. Ferguson carries out the imagery. Uh, there's no portrait of Jesus kneeling before his betrayer. Boy, that's a bold image, isn't it? Uh, to think of Jesus knowing and 
Judas almost certainly must have known that he knew um, that he was going to betray him. Um, But that this betrayal was not a failure of God's plan, but nothing other than the plan working itself out, uh, an integral part of the plan that doesn't take Jesus uh, by surprise. Um, And yet Jesus... Uh, washed Judas's feet as well. Um, and um, John makes it plain uh, by telling us that he left after the foot washing. Um, so um, the point he draws from that is that there's no exceptions. If Judas wasn't an exception to Christ humbling and uh, washing his feet, uh, there can't possibly be any exceptions for us because if, if there ever would have been in the history of the world a person who have qualified to be rejected, uh, it would be um, Judas. Um, the, um, so, uh, understatement uh, of the day, challenging though this may be, there's nothing complicated or complex about it. Uh, yeah, challenging, <laughs> uh, seriously challenging. Um, but the point he, he's making is that it's simple in another sense. Uh, these um, aren't complicated things. It's a simple care of one person for another. And t- taking that uh, as um, an opportunity for me to be humbled and love and follow in his example. Um, the, um, so, um, what's going to enable us to do it, do this? Um, Ferguson asks, asks on the bottom of 27. Um, and his answer is that first we need to um, understand that uh, who he is and what he's done for us. And then there's another lesson to learn, and that is uh, how we understand ourselves in light of all of that. So, understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. Um, Who we are in Christ uh, is rooted in what Jesus did and who Jesus is. He's a teacher. He's a Lord to us. Um, he insists. And um, the uh, point is that if he is my teacher, then I'm his pupil, and I should learn from him. If he is my Lord, then as his servant, I should seek to represent him well. These two principles, Dr. Ferguson Uh, thinks, uh, are absolutely crucial to thinking of ourselves in the right way, in framing uh, a a correct self-image, that I have a mind to be instructed by his teaching, I have a will to do the will of my master. This is what defines me in Christ, Um, and Paul sums it up beautifully. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Thoughts, reflections on that point about our identity, how we're to understand ourselves uh, because of who Christ is uh, for us as teacher and Lord. All right. Well, let I have a question. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but um, so w- would Judas be considered, uh, I guess, uh, as one of a person of the world? You know, we think of us ourselves as Christians, and so here's Christ with his disciples, and they're all followers of Christ except for Judas, really. He was um, 
not a real follower, right? And so. Well, um, he was a real follower. If, if you mean by did he live the life of a disciple? Uh, what I mean, he, in the sense of true follower. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're saying was his heart given over to Jesus um, right. in new life, but but don't lose fact sight of the fact that. Um, uh, well, if we go no further than Peter, Peter had huge misunderstandings about what it meant to be a disciple right. that appeared over and again. Judas, Judas did too, um, and uh, so did the other disciples at times, Thomas, for example. But all of them were, um, this is a funny way to say it, but all of them were outwardly um, empowered by the Holy Spirit to uh, speak for God and to uh, do mighty works of God. And Judas would have been no different. Now that is a wholesome thing to reflect on for a moment because it reminds us that, that those kinds of endowments don't imply regeneration. Right. They, they simply imply that God is prepared to use this purpose person and give this person these gifts for his particular purposes, but they don't uh, at all imply a new heart uh, or a regenerate right. state. Um, but so where I'm going with this is, so during those, what was it, three years, three and a half years that they were together, Judas never fooled Jesus. Jesus knew him. That's right, but he fooled every he, he, he fooled everybody else though. That's how Yes, right, right. And so but we see in the Christian church in every era that Christians are afraid of the world and so they remove themselves from the world thinking that's the Christian way. Some and, some do. Right, some do. And but it, that, it seems that Christ never did that. He was walking amongst not only his own, own disciples who were following him, knowing that one was going to betray him, but he was walking amongst the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the you know Samaritans, right. the Gentiles, all of that without fear. Right. Which is, um, in a sense what we should be doing if we're to be like Christ. It seems like here he's showing, I mean, you're just talking about Jesus washing his feet. Mm -hmm. And so, and Jesus knew who he was. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So this should give us um, a sense of who we need to be in the world. Right. Okay. Yep, just, absolutely. Okay. Was someone else trying to get my attention? Yeah, um, Dave? Yes. Yeah, this is Ingrid. Um, so, uh, just following up on what Jenny was saying, uh, I think um, being in the world, and I think many of us through betrayal in our lives, and um, I think what Jenny was saying, you know, we tend to remove ourselves sometimes, some of us. Um, and certainly when someone has betrayed us, betrayal often ends relationships. Yes. And so as someone who has been betrayed, as Jesus was betrayed by Judas, um, Jesus was still obedient to the Father and washed his feet. Yes. Yes. And that's that remarkable. God. Um, and so when we're in a similar situation where we are have been betrayed, often I think we want to just, you know, the relationship ends, we're hurt, whatever um, we're feeling. But um, I guess the question is, um, is that right to just remove yourself and move on or is it right to uh, you know 
continue a relationship with that person, which would be, uh, I guess Jesus is demonstrating that he didn't remove himself and he, he continued to serve even the person who would betray him. Yes, I think that's right, Ingrid. Now, uh, it, it, it uh, circumstances will change from case to case and those circumstances may make a difference as to how it works out. But the heart orientation is exactly the same. The readiness uh, to be a sacrificial servant on behalf of someone who doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, so that passage in 1 Corinthians 6 then leads us into the section entitled We Are Bondservants of Christ. Um, the um, I am no longer my own. That's the first principle of the Christian life. And Dr. Ferguson beautifully uh, cites the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, if you don't know that catechism, it'd be lovely for you to read it sometime. It's a beautifully written um, work. Uh, it was produced uh, in the 17th century um, at a great synod, the Synod of Dort. And um, the, it, the catechism is um, much more uh, personalistic than the Westminster Standards. The, the Westminster Standards may be superior in uh, in. A, in a scientific statement of the truth, meaning very careful and precise. Um, but the Heidelberg has a depth of warmth and uh, personal appropriation that's quite precious. And so they're wonderful to read uh, in relationship to one another. So you think of the uh, first question of the short catechism, uh, what is man's chief end? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's hardly better possible to make a better statement than that. But it's all uh, done, as it were, objectively. Uh, I am a person, and so that's my chief end too, and I could put it that way. My chief calling, my whole purpose in life is to glorify and enjoy God. That's kind of what Heidelberg does. It brings it down to not have us just be talking about great universal truths, but bring it right down to where I am here and now. And you can see that in this first question um, that uh, um, I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood uh, has fully satisfied all my sins. Um, You feel uh, the beauty of that as a personal expression of faith. Um, And that's the the point then, uh, a a new Um, (laughs) self-image. And at the top of 30, uh, Dr. Ferguson puts it nicely. Uh, you're a happy bond slave who's discovered that service is perfect freedom. Um, the um, so bond slaves of the Lord, and um, the he illustrates this in the lovely um, incident. He's at a wedding reception and. Uh, You've seen these incredible ladies, typically, that carry these gigantic um, trays full of uh, dishes away from uh, an event. And uh, horribly, um, the uh, dropped the entire tray. And uh, Ferguson said to himself, somebody, or to, to his compatriots, someone should help her. And the fellow looked at him and said, well... Aren't you someone? <laughs> and uh, it really drove the point home that he had the assumption that somebody else should do something as opposed to 
realizing that if there was anybody to do something, why wouldn't it be him if that was his proper orientation? Um, And uh, um, he thinks of the Lord reflecting on this and saying, well, have you forgotten who you are? Um, I, I was at the General Assembly and um, it was during one of the worship services and of course there was a there were huge uh, um, sections of people row after row and um, the, they were having a terrible time staffing the event f- for all the COVID things and other reasons and uh, so they were collecting an offering and um, it uh, it was chaplains typically, so they were in uniform. You could tell, and there was not a guy on the other side of this long row to get the bucket. So the poor guy would run back and forth behind rows to get to the other side to get the buckets. And you know, I'm sure everybody was looking. And one of the you know purported big guns of the assembly jumped up ran over there, got took the bucket from the guy, <laughs> went around the other side, and he just went all the way up the rows with them all. And it was, I think, a beautiful example of what Dr. Ferguson's talking about, that uh, every one of us knew somebody should do something. <laughs> but here this fellow had the wherewithal to humble himself and go collect the offering. Um, and at the bottom of page 30, um, Dr. Ferguson says, we all encounter situations where the major tri- trivial that require self-humbling if we're to serve Christ in them. And this is true, he continues on, even with very difficult people who really don't deserve it. And the fact is, um, and he brings it home to us in the illustration, Simon didn't deserve foot washing. Judas didn't deserve the foot washing, and I don't deserve foot washing. But the Son of God stooped down to lift us all up. Um, And we're now not our own. Uh, But we begin to think like Paul. We are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but ourselves. Uh, We are your servants or bond servants for Jesus' sake. And it's so powerful the way every one of the apostles not only got that point, but lived that point and lived uh, often uh, to die for uh, being servants of Jesus for the uh, sake of the people of God. Um, Thoughts there? Dave, this reminds me of um, Luke um, 9.23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That takes a long time to understand, I think, in the Christian life, to deny yourself. And especially since we know that God created us, so he, how can we deny what he created? And he, um, what he, I think now, <laughs> maybe um, after, I don't know how many years being a Christian, ourself is our um, sinful self, our selfish self. And um, Ferguson, and through using Christ's example here shows that so well. Mm. Uh, and I just wanted to commend um, Tim Keller's um, little pamphlet on self-forgetfulness and then Lloyd-Jones on the Sermon on the Mount um, about self-denial. is mm. so penetrating yes. Lloyd-Jones' in the Sermon on the Mount is comments. And um, it's especially, I suppose, in every era, because all humans have this fault, 
of being self-centered. And, uh, but um, especially today, everything is about self-fulfillment and what makes me feel good. Right. What others should be doing for me and things like that. Um, but it's just, it is challenging and will continue to be, I think, for the rest of our lives so we'll get to heaven. <laughs> Well, the um, uh, Dr. Ferguson does think that we have uh, a debilitation in our time because of shifts in Christian culture. So on page 31, in about the middle there, um, he notes, not long ago, sacrifice and service were among the first words that young Christians learned. Uh but it's rare today to see it in Christian literature or in preaching um, uh, or in conferences and so on. But on the contrary, it seems like we're inundated, he says, with teaching that's about self-help and self-improvement and, uh, and, and not calls to sacrifice and bond servants. I, I thought of this passage um, um, because I had just recently seen such a wonderful example of it. Um, the, um, there's a woman who works for the administrative committee of the General Assembly, and she had the hard providence to be assigned to work for the Standing Judicial Commission in helping to organize and prepare uh, the volumes and volumes of material that we have to go through and we have had some very difficult times in getting that job done properly. And uh, this woman's been with us now for some time, and she's just exceptional in it. And the sadness is that she's just taken another job, uh, and we're all going to be in mourning. Uh, but um, what I wrote to her uh, was that um, she really embodied that, idea of sacrifice and service and I've had to chair a number of panels and uh, I've mentioned before we have huge amounts of paper because we're uh, an appeals court we don't judge cases in and of themselves we judge the records of cases that are brought up to make sure they're in conformity with the law and so on and um the way a record is produced is that every um, paper in the lower court that is relevant to that case, all the immediate papers that were a part of it, and then any other papers that were relevant to it, all have to be put together by the stated clerk of the presbytery. And he sends that up to the assembly's office. Now, stated clerks are not full-time jobs. And Usually, the clerk is a little bit ticked that he has to do it <laughs> because it's a huge job and uh, he probably is not real happy about the litigation going on. So, um, you know, sometimes it comes to us like he just put his arms around the inside of a file uh, cabinet and dumped it out and put it in a box and send it to us. Well, for us to function properly, those papers have to be put in order. They, they have to be in, in order in relationship to one another, in a relationship chronologically, so that when you're reading, you, you get some idea of a narrative of events. And um, I was chairman, and usually the chairman of the panel is the one who ends up trying to get that record into shape. And that's not a full-time job either. But um, I, uh, we had about a 700-page record that was completely inside and out. And I finally said, okay, we've got to do the whole thing all over again. And she cheerfully complied with that. We then went through... Uh, page by page to make sure that there was a relationship between the documents and that there was a general chronological order. And 
we kept finding things that were wrong. So I bet we did uh, five or six iterations of the whole thing. And never once did she say, I can't do this again. <laughs> but I, I, and I hated to even call her. Um, but every time I said, we, we just don't have it right yet. We've got to try again. She said, that's fine. I'll get it to you as soon as I can. And she did. And it was just the way she served so sacrificially without any complaint with a job that was relatively tedious, but absolutely essential for the functioning of our panels. And that was a beautiful illustration to me of uh, the kind of sensibility that Dr. Ferguson's talking about here. Um, And uh, the great need we have, uh, as he puts it, to have our thinking profoundly recalibrated. All right, one last section, I think, oh no, two, two more sections. Anybody a thought on this much? Oh, we're on the home stretch. <laughs> I better keep going. But if somebody wants to say something, don't hesitate to stop. But um, all right, so bottom of uh, um, 31, we are also uh, we are also disciples of our master and therefore his representatives. Um, people are going to form their views of Jesus from the way that we live. And he brings up particularly Jesus saying in John thirteen twenty, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Um, and he has the great illustration of Scottish people and their milk drinking habits. Um, and uh, um, he, uh, it's a great image, I think, uh, says that people notice the atmosphere of our lives. Um, and they recognize it, they comment upon it. Um, so he wants us to think, does the aroma of Christ linger uh, when we leave? Have we been fragrant with his humility and grace? Uh, did it say, however, wordlessly, uh, I am Christ's bondservant, and therefore I want to serve you too. Um, that's a great image. And um, I think we can e- even broaden it, though, because um, our words can create worlds. Uh, they can create the context of sin, where sin seems easier. Instead of Godly meaning, our words create a world where we feel free to disobey. This is why uh, Paul in Ephesians 5 says that sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness may not even be named among you as proper to the saints. Because as you name these things, as if in some way proper or fitting, you create the verbal context where you feel free to so act. And that's why such talk needs to be put away from us, according to Paul. Speech creates the intellectual, moral, emotional environment in which we live. And there's a real sense in which we can say, let there be, and it is so. Uh, And this applies to our daily discourse. Um, What a long time ago I called our our speechmosphere like our atmosphere. Um, and and the, the point is our speechmosphere is a thing easily polluted by our words. Or at the same time, it can be a beautiful aroma. Uh, through our speech, we can create a context of kindness and encouragement, a context for genuine sacrifice and willing service from the way I've spoken to people. They know I'm other interested and, uh, and, and willing to be for them in whatever way I can. Um, and I think this is why Paul insists in 429 of Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace uh, to those who hear. And so I, I, I think that's a very powerful image for us, that, uh, that we think of what atmosphere by our words, by our actions, have we created 
is it the sweet fragrance, the aroma of Christ, or is it something repugnant? Um, quite a challenge. Again, uh, Dr. Ferguson follows up. Challenging, yes. Um, but then the idea of blessing. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, the um, And so he wants us to think of ourselves regularly as servants for Jesus' sake, realizing that uh, um, this is the way of blessedness. Uh, and he discusses a little bit the notion of um, blessing as it's found in the New Testament. Um, but uh, I think we'll conclude here um, at the bottom of page 33. Um, he says that uh, the blessed life, it involves being set free from our obsession with ourselves and the merely temporal and learning to open our hands to God, allowing everything that we have held too tightly to drop out of them. We can then receive Christ and every spiritual blessing in him with both hands. I think that's a a beautiful uh, place to end. And uh, any questions or comments or reflections on any of this in... Uh, before we conclude the evening.